This is the thing about movies, isn't it? Whether, no matter whether they're horror movies or whatever. When they really affect you, you absorb them and then you completely turn them into your own narrative. I'm Eli Roth, and this is my Shudder original series, History of Horror Uncut. Each episode is a candid conversation with a master of the genre, drawn from raw and unfiltered interviews conducted for my AMC TV series, Eli Roth's History of Horror. These are deep dives into the dark power and wicked fun of frightening movies, the craft that goes into making them, and the ways that horror reflects the anxieties of our times. They're also probing, insightful, and often funny conversations that open up doors into the minds of horror's star creators. The terror begins right after this. Kate Blanchett is a two-time Academy Award-winning actress. Whether she's playing the Queen of England or a small-town psychic, Kate brings an intense focus and believability to her work that has made her one of the greatest actors of our time. But many people don't know that Kate is a horror fan whose love for the genre goes back to early childhood, a love that fed her brilliant work in Sam Raimi's Southern Gothic, The Gift. I talked to Kate about that and much more on the set of our upcoming film, Borderlands. I remember the first time we met, you told me you loved Evil Dead. Yes. And that you grew up in horror movies. So you are a horror fan. Tell me about like your early experiences with horror movies. Well, I am a horror fan, but my ability to watch horror movies, it's completely evaporated since having kids. I've heard that from a number of people. I heard Greg Nicotero, the makeup effects artist, has told me that he can't even kill kids in movies. Once, once he <laughs> he can't even kill kids generally. He just can't, can't kill kids can't anymore. Kill children. What, what, the what is the doing? world coming to? No, but we're in a zombie movie. If yeah. you killed the zombie kid, he said it upset him in a different way after having It's all right. Him. See, I think I could do it, but I can't watch it. At the age of 10, and I only learned this from John Lark. John Lark came to Australia and he wanted to do an interview with me with a New Yorker. And of course, I thought, oh my God, I love him. He's an amazing journalist. He's an amazing thinker, but I don't want to be with a journalist for five days. And he said, no, that's what I do. So he came and he kind of put me on the couch. And he was talking about early cinema experiences. And I said, look, I just watched horror. I just, that's all I did from the age of 10 to 15. I don't think I watched anything else. Was this you with like siblings or, or was it by yourself Me. or with friends? Me, middle of the night, you know, back in the days where you just go, you get, it, get something off the show. VHS getting something VHS. off television? And also, I mean, I did watch some really great big grade movies late at night, but I watched it and he said, do you think you could have been drawn to horror because your dad died and you were trying to move through that really horrendously confronting life and death experience as a child to make sense of it. And I went, hmm, because I can't watch them anymore. But yet I did exclusively watch them. I, so many I couldn't even tell you the titles. And then, look, I discovered Bette Davis through horror movies, like wow. Scream, Pretty Peggy, Scream and Burnt Offerings. Like, you watch oh, Burnt Offerings? Oh, my God. Burgess I, Meredith. I'm Australian, That's so, uh... and between Jaws and Burnt Offerings, I just couldn't swim. 
because we had a swimming pool and I would get into the thing and, and often I'd make people, I have to re-kind of do this, the Oliver Reed in the water yeah. scene. Yeah, it was yeah, terrifying. That's but. so, but it's people, you know, think of you as such a different type of movie, but that was the period that I went crazy with it because yeah. at first it was a dare to myself. Then mm-hmm. I would throw up when I watched it. So I'd push myself to get- I know, the throw up stories my, hilarious. My vomit stories. But then there was a period where I think it was trying to make sense of the world or get control of death or looking at it as an escape route of worst case scenario. Okay, if this happens to me, here's what I would do or wouldn't do. But, you know, the one thing we'll never get to see is our death. So, I don't know, seeing it, seeing those movies. But it's also, I think, because the deaths were always so extreme. Yes. And so theatrical. And once you got over the suspense, it's like, I suppose it's like life and death, isn't it? It's always the anticipation of death, but then... You know, I mean, I guess when it finally happens, it's going to be quite sweet, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be over. I and so it's always so. such a release, you know, when the axe comes through the wall or the someone flicks the chainsaw away, you know. It's and a, what did your mom or, like, what was the reaction of friends or family to you watching her? Was it accepted or was it, oh, there's Kate in her horror movies? Or Well, kids would always want to come to my place because we were we had the sleepovers where you could watch the Halloween movies so, or Amityville Horror. Me too, yeah. And my mom just wouldn't tell wouldn't, wouldn't tell the other parents. Yeah, no, or remember, she'd just pretend not to know. Right. I, now, I remember our house, we watched Galaxy of Terror, Rambo, Evil Dead, Dawn of the Dead. It Dawn was of like, the Dead, Kids yeah. were, like, traumatized after spending the weekends. <laughs> like, my bar mitzvah, we watched a horror movie called Mother's Day, a slasher film. Oh, I've heard it. I haven't seen it, though. But it's... It's yeah, too late now, I can't. Yeah, no, it's, it's... Do you remember... Were there any seminal ones that stuck out for you at that period of, like, that was the one that scared you the most out of any of those, or the most fun? I think what I found really scary about burnt offerings was the fact that the house had a spirit, you know, and that's like Amityville horror. So I think it was probably that one. Although, was it Wendy Hillier was in a movie, which I can't remember, which involved bees? The bees. Well, there was the there was the no, swarm. I don't, I don't know which bees. one it was. It, it was just a final image of her covered in bees, which was really quite terrifying. There was a whole spate of 70s animal attack movies like Ants. There was there were two bee movies. There was The Killer Bees and there was The Swarm. And I remember these people, They got the, the bees are chasing them up into the attic and they had to get this like cone and th- that was how he breathed. He put it in his mouth. Maybe that's the and one. And they're sitting in the oh, God, attic. I'm having, I'm having and flashbacks. And it's like three of them. Yeah, and they're and it was like The Killer Bees and they just he's breathing through a cone and the bees are completely covering him. And that, that, was, that maybe disturbed that, me so it's really much creepy. as a kid. I think it could be that one, but it's also Sam's relationship to the nature and the forest, you know, in Evil Dead, which I found really, really terrifying. But also the other thing I would watch is um, all those Basil Rathbone, Sherlock Holmes films on the moors, the Scarlet Claw, Uh you know, the fact that someone could have their throat gutted by a kind of garden tool, I just found really terrifying. Hound of Baskervilles, those those kinds of films. Yeah. Yeah, they were quite macabre and violent. And The Wicker Man, I saw that way too young. Really? Yeah, How old do you saw it? God, what a weird, I I love Wicker Man Wicker Man is, and they remade it, I think, but I can't, I'm sure it's fine, but I it's not, it's not, I mean, it's it's become almost an internet meme, it's like, it's so parody, But, but that first one, the music of The Wicker Man, yeah. that they wrote these songs that were all the folk songs for Summer Isle. The score of the composer, unfortunately, died, but that, that music, I have it, I listen to it all the time. The lyrics are all these double entendres. Oh, is she right? Oh, my God, it's amazing. Like, when she's doing her dance, yeah, yeah. Willow's doing her dance and seducing Edward Woodward. 
But it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's all about Brit seduction. Eklund, that dance. It's all action. Well, they're like the landlord's daughters. They're like, there's nothing that would delight so as doth the path between her left toe and her right toe. Like they're singing really <laughs> sexual things. And she sings like how a maid could milk a bull in every stroke, a bucket full. That's right. And Christopher that's right. Lee is like singing a song about like the tinker of rye. And he's like, there's a tinker who's hammering the nails and the, the maid's buckets. The, the holes are too big, mm. but his nail could fit. I mean, everything. So you have this Catholic police officer who just can't believe that they're But you know what's you know what's so scary about that film is there's that quality of that didn't happen. So there's a kind of a madness in there. And I think me, like the majority of people, are terrified of going mad. You yeah. know, and so that's that's why I found it so creepy. But I saw it way, way too young. I saw Magic too young. Anthony Play Hopkins. Misty for me. Wow. I mean, all those ones. I saw them way so too young. High. But I saw them on television. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of that. Were they edited on TV? I remember the there was one channel know, that would yeah. show The Exorcist unedited, but everything else it would be censored. I think everything was probably uncensored in Australia. It sort of seemed inevitable that bees would attack and right. all those things. It's you know. Did you ever see Long Weekend? No. Long Weekend's a great one. With Could I nature. stand it? Uh, yeah, it's it's a couple that goes into nature. It's Everett Roche who wrote Road Games, wrote a lot of those movies. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think Criterion even put it on. This okay. One. It's really good where the animals start attacking. First it's the bugs, then it's the bees, then it's this manatee in the water. And then eventually the couple winds up kind of killing each other because they just go crazy. It's like the, you know, Australian weekend. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, Tuesday. It's a documentary. When you saw Evil Dead, was that what made you want to work with Raimi on The Gift? Did you seek out working with Sam Raimi? No, okay, The Gift came to me through Billy Bob. And when I knew Sam was on board, I just thought, oh my God, to work with, I can't, well, yes, of course. In a way it was, you know, it, the story revolves around a woman who's lost her husband, who's in a profound state of grief, and she's earning her living as a psychic. That she's the ability she's inherited from her grandmother, but she's sort of in denial of her own grief. And so you think about that story and you think, oh, that doesn't necessarily directly, you wouldn't immediately think of Sam to do it. But thinking of his sensibility brought to that film, it was like, oh, how could you possibly say no? But I didn't think at the age of 10, I must work with uh, no, no, <laughs> I meant, I, I, this. I meant when you were closer, you know, in your late 20s going, oh, this movie comes your way. Let me... Oh, well, sure, but the minute he was on board. But also I would have done it because the script was really beautiful. But to work with Sam was just... It was such a weird experience too because it was... You look at the cast. I mean, I think Keanu would just come off The Matrix. It's amazing cast. And I J.K. just played... J.K. Simmons, yeah, Hilary Swank. Amazing. Hugh, and Hilary Swank winners. had just made Boys Don't Cry. And Katie was just leaving Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. I just played Queen Elizabeth. So, I mean, yeah. playing a, a psychic in a, a small town, a southern town, you wouldn't automatically think of me doing. We're all all kind of in this in-between state. And yes. Sam was just about to go off and do Spider-Man. It's like everyone so, right before they went yeah. on to do these iconic, iconic things. It was like you pre-Lord of the Rings, Sam pre-Spider-Man. Yeah, I think it probably was. Somewhere around there, yeah. It would yeah. have been 2001, 2000. It's like, like right I can't right remember that, so. life before Lord of the Rings, so. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what's interesting is, you know, I think of Sam Raimi, I remember as... When you saw Evil Dead, just in the opening shot, the way yeah. he moved the camera, I'd never, it was terrifying the way he used sound in the woods. I mean, it was the scariest, mm. the tree rape. There were so many things that were so scary. I mean, the, the tree rape was just, I mean, you can't unsee that. You can't unthink that. We violate nature. It's literally nature violating yeah. human. 
yeah. in the worst possible way. It's it's un. You can't swim in the sea in the same way. You can't walk in the woods as a woman in the same way. It's like our options are so limited. So Thanks, limited. Sam. Not, Thanks really, Sam. not really allowed to do. But but also Evil Dead too. the way he moves the camera through the cabin. See, I have only seen... Sorry, don't tell Sam. I've only seen Evil Dead 2 in parts because I was too terrified. I think that was after my, yeah, after well, my it's horror moment. Well, yeah. what's interesting is Evil Dead 2 is a comedy because he was brought up on obscenity charges and I had to go to court in the UK mm. that when he, then he did Crime Wave. Have you ever seen mm-hmm. Crime Wave? No. His See, I haven't seen movie. anything. He did Crime Wave, which was written by the Coen brothers and Sam Raimi mm. about with like Paul L. Smith and Brian James as rat catchers. It's just a batshit crazy movie. It's a nuts film that yeah. is like these rat catchers that go around killing humans. And it's just like knocking over shelves like dominoes. Basically like he shot a weird movie, almost like a Three Stooges episode. And he took that insanity. So Evil Dead 2 is sort of a remake of Evil Dead 1 but with lots of humor. Like there's these Well, I've seen the laughing scene. You know, that's incredible. I mean, that's it's a it's one of my favorite moments in cinema is when that that guy does the bow with the in you know, when they're all that crazy laughter and yeah. he moves in in the same kind of motion as the lamp. You yes, know, it's exactly. absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But that was the genius of Sam. And then you took that insanity and it's all so restrained and so beautifully I find The Gift to be really one of his best films because he doesn't use any of those tricks, yet you still have those moments of camera work, that one shot where Keanu drags you across the room where he breaks in and grabs Hilary Frank and drags her away. But that was one, we had... It's unbelievable. I mean, we had no money making that film and they were about to pull the plug on the day. Keanu was on the outside, he had to storm through a room full of people and I was in the out room doing a a reading and he had to grab Hilary, drag her through. I had to slip on some blood in a nightdress, which would then comes back later and, and then get out. And we had one take. And so everyone... You need the paint. He knocks over the paint yeah. can. The paint goes there. You slip on... And it's... Yeah, it wasn't blood. It was paint. It was That's paint. Right. Yeah. No, but it's perfect. Even yeah. kicking the paint and getting it and leaving the door, getting in the car. But it was... It, it, he has this ability that everyone's on board. Everyone understands the shot that he's trying to, to get. So we luckily got it in one. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the film. Because we didn't, you know, we were literally... They were pulling the plugs out of the electricity sockets. The first scene when Keanu shows up, Donnie Barksdale. It's scary. It's just this mobile, and it's this innocent child thing, and he just comes over, and, t- and you're, you're already, just from his mm-hmm. face, you think Keanu Reeves, The Matrix, you know, Point mm-hmm. Break, the Bill and Ted's, and he mm-hmm. comes in, and he's like this terrifying redneck, and mm-hmm. you are just this mom trying to protect your kids. And mm-hmm. so really, really amazing scene. Yeah. Two you guys. And also Giovanni Ribisi is fantastic. That performance that Giovanni Ribisi gives, Amazing. As the abused guy, look at the blue diamond, look at the blue diamond. Tell me about that scene when he lights the guy on fire. Oh, no, no, so he's been abused by his father and... If I see a blue diamond, I won't think bad thoughts. And you're like trying to crack yeah, what Yeah, I didn't is. know what that meant. She's sort of on the outskirts of the town socially just because of she's slightly strange and she's a, a widow and all of that stuff. But she takes him under her wing and knows that he's being badly treated by her father. And he calls her one night because he's about to set his father on fire. He can't take it anymore because it's all come back to him, mm-hmm. you know, he wants to get rid of his father. And so we shot this scene where he has to set his father on fire. And Sam, being the gentleman he is, you know, he always wears a suit out of respect. For even in shoot, in, when you're shooting that movie. On the yeah, South, even so. in Savannah and the, all that humidity, he wears a suit every day. He said, Hitchcock did it. Wow. He said, I can, that's the least I can do, Ms. Blanchett, he would always say. And anyway, so Giovanni's character is about to set his father on fire. And this guy was all primed up. He was all kind of slathered in whatever it is you have to be slathered in when you set yourself on fire. And we set the match and the camera was going to start 
on his ankles and move up. And then the guy would run around, I guess that's what you do. And Sam stopped it when it got to his knees. He said, that's all I need. That's all I need. And so we moved on. And I, we were in an old abandoned house and I, I went to get something from the house and I saw this stunt guy weeping and weeping and weeping. And I went to one of the ADs and I said, what's, what's wrong with him? And he said, oh, look, all of his family died in a house fire. And this is the thing he does as a, an act of catharsis is he sets himself on fire. That's his specialty. And he didn't, Sam didn't let him... Do it. Do the whole thing. And Sam was trying to look after him. But it had the opposite effect. Had the opposite effect. But I think horror movies have that therapeutic effect. I think, I the think people so. people who've had trauma use the horror if movies. More, if more therapists... Showed would, horror movies. <laughs> showed hostile. Well, look, here you are. Look, you look are. what happened. It's such a transformation for you. I mean, you are the, the character, the voice, that everything's perfect. Did you meet with psychics? Did you talk with Billy Bob or know that it was, I'd heard it was loosely based on his mother? Did you do on research with grandmother, psychics? On his grandmother, I think it was, yeah. Because the psychic ability always skips a generation. Right, so his grandmother was Yeah, psychic. and, um, and he had, uh, was very, very close to her. But no, I, I met with a few psychics in LA who basically had only read the trades. And then I got to Savannah and I hooked up, I can probably say this now because she's probably passed away, but I hooked up with this woman who was a realtor and she said, look, I don't um, do this anymore, but I will read for you. When FBI can't solve um, they go to the crimes, they, they go to, to psychics. And so she said, it's awful. She gets a piece of the dead person's clothing and she says, the awful thing is what you see. And then invariably she'll, she'll be able to lead the FBI to where the bodies And so she's found several bodies. But she doesn't do it anymore because she would be having lunch with a friend and just suddenly have this feeling that like their husband's sleeping with someone else. And, and so she said the most difficult thing about being psychic is speaking it. Like we all have this second sense, but we don't act on it. And so she would say to someone, look, honey, I, I don't want to interfere, but your husband's having an affair. And so then the husband would show up with a chainsaw and say, don't you ever, ever speak to my wife again. And so she just said she doesn't want the problems anymore, so now she sells real estate. But she did do a reading for me in an old house in Savannah, and it was back in the cassette recorder days. And so I said, do a reading for me. And um, can, do you mind if I record it on the tape recorder? And she said, sure, but electrical things don't often work around me. And sure enough, wouldn't work. She left and the tape recorder worked. It's fine. And I thought, OK, whatever. I wrote down in a journal the reading and I was moving house about six or seven years later and I found this book where I'd written everything down and she said weird things like, you're going to have two bodyguards, you're going to wear a dress that's going to change your career. She said, you're going to have four children but I think one's going to come to you in a different way. I think two are going to be born in a different part of the world. It was like, I just got married. It was like, okay, oh, yeah, whatever. And then she said this other thing to me. She said, you're going to play a writer, short hair, foreign-sounding name, Guavan, Guven. And she gets killed for what she writes. And it was not, it doesn't happen now. It happened a little time ago. I don't know whether it's how long ago. And, of course, I found myself on the set of Veronica Guerin, an Irish journalist who mm -hmm. got shot yeah. for what she was writing, covered in blood. 
And I turned around and there were two bodyguards following me because the case had just been reopened and they were worried that the guys who just got out of prison would come and be around oh the set. Oh, my God. And I went, hang on a minute, this is intense deja vu. And then I went back and looked at everything. And, of course, here I am, four kids, my fourth child's adopted, two were born in England, one was born in Australia. It's like all these things in one way or another have come to pass. Does that mean that we're just on different strands, like we live in multiple like timelines and this could have felt like when we have a dream or imagine something, we're all in parallel. Like it's all pre-written, it's all predestined, or, it's, or it's just, this is... It's strange. We're, we're meant to think it's our own I mean, you know, the notion of oracles, it's such an ancient thing, isn't it? And we've kind of found ways to institutionalize those things through organized religion. And so we've moved away from the pagan. But, you know, where I live in England, it's, it's near a place called Witch Cross, where they used to hang witches. And you can feel there's something in that... Yeah, well, growing up in Massachusetts, you know. that's probably where a lot of my early interest in horror well, here, was, yeah, uh, exactly. trials grew up. Yeah. I'd heard that psychics, it's, it's interesting to say that, I'd heard that psychics have to move. Like, they have a tough time in small towns. I think it's, of, too, it's a lot to, to bear. It's like and, seeing everyone's text messages and yeah. knowing what's going on. But it's on. also, if you've seen something once, it doesn't necessarily, you can't switch it on. You know, it's not like playing the violin. Like, sometimes it will come and sometimes it won't come. And so that's why I think it's a really difficult thing to speak. That's what this woman was telling me, to speak it out, because sometimes you might be wrong. And so you don't know whether you're saying something and putting an intention in someone else's mind. Right, and then it happens then, because you yeah. planted the idea in there. We're very suggestible. Yes, as, as people. As people. <laughs> Did you remember seeing the final film or your impressions of the final movie? Uh, yes, I haven't seen it since we made it. I. It really... I it was, really it's a beautiful film. Yeah. Christopher Young's score, the cinematography, it's, it's actually an exquisitely made film. Yeah. But I, you could feel it. I mean, Sam would put the camera in places where I just had never imagined it being before. He invents shots, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I keep sort of hounding him every three or four years saying, you know, I'm going to be dead soon, so... <laughs> when are we gonna? <laughs> it's a good technique. Yeah. Do you have to prod Sam Raimi to do it? Yeah, well, um, yeah, maybe he had a terrible time. Speaking of being psychic, we were on the porch of Annie, my character's house, and we must have been waiting for something to set up. And, and we were playing that game where, you know, if someone was going to play your life story, which actor would play you? And we got round to Sam, and I said, Toby Maguire would play you. And he goes, Who's Toby Maguire? I went, Who's Toby Maguire? I said, you're kidding me. And I said, I went through everything that I'd ever seen Toby Maguire in. I didn't take 10%. Right. I does, can't claim, Does, does Toby Maguire know that? No, I don't know. I think I did tell him. But, you know, I mean, he... Psychic. Said, planted the seed. Were you psychic or did you plant the seed? That's I could have planted... Well, exactly. You created the new Spider-Man. First, there's so many... Th I mean, the other characters, the supporting guys, J.K. Simmons, Gary Cole, Greg Kinnear. Gary Cole was amazing, too. Yeah, Incredible. Greg Kinnear. Yeah. Kinnear. Really, love incredible. the scenes with you guys. You're such a he plays such a sweet guy that you really do. But you know what really was interesting is that a lot of the actors got the chance to sort of play against type, you mm -hmm. know. And so having Greg in that role, the man you'd least suspect, you know. Yeah, um, Katie Holmes plays against type. Yeah, Gary totally. Cole, kind of coming off of Office Space. Yeah, playing and Jake and Jake Sims is so funny. But they were really, really strong. And of course, then he went on to do Spider Man as well. Yes, and then Rosemary. Harris mm -hmm. played, because I was friends with Jennifer Ely, her daughter, and he was looking for someone to play the grandmother, and I said, oh, do you know? Rose. Yeah, she, and so then she played the grandmother, and then 
Obviously, she's such an extraordinary actress. Of course, Sam fell in love with her. And mm -hmm. Do you for think some strange some... reason, I was not in the si Spider-Man franchise. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a minute. Why like, was you could have been Mary out? Jane. I don't know what yeah. happened. With that. Well, I think did all right with the <laughs> with you know the elves. Do you think there's things in the movie that Annie cannot see? Like the things, the psychic is all the things she can see. They're to do with other people's problems. Um, so I don't know if that if that if the, the texture of her own grief was. I think it ended near the graveside. Well, that's Did it? yeah. At the end, it still ends with the grave with you and the yeah. kids, where she acknowledges the kids like we haven't been to see dad in a while. Yeah, that she can't see the pain of her own kids. Yeah. and the son is getting in fights at school. Yeah, and she's like going to the principal and what's the problem? But it's sort of never really explained. Yeah, she never really addresses it with like, why are you beating up other kids? It's sort of like the, all the problems in her own house and the things she's bringing in, it's all right mm. there, but she can't see it. But I think that's what I really love about quote-unquote horror, is that there's no sentimentality. And so if you'd looked at that story, you know, there's another way we could have turned it and it could have been quite sentimental. But there's something about Sam's perspective on stuff and putting the, the notion of genre within that story that allows you to kind of Trojan horse this really quite painful family drama between a mother and her son's you know, and her own grief, without it ever veering off into, into sort of mawkish territory, which I think is great. But I think, I mean, in the end, what she can't see is her own, she's coming to terms with her own grief and her own past and her own gift, I think, in a way. What I love about Sam, what I love about the movie is that it never veers into schmaltz. It never goes too mm. far into trying to be a heartfelt, like it, it sticks to the rules of being a very scary horror movie. I mean, mm. it's, it's in that zone of thriller, horror, suspense, because it's not like mm. a straight, you know, slasher film. But, what, but, but when mean, she sees the body in the tree and the dead yeah, body that's floating right. over is when she's the walking blood, out. Does, is that the blood drips down? The blood drips down is one of my favorite sequences mm. he's ever shot with that image of that dead girl's body with Katie Holmes there in the eye looking up. Yeah. Very, very scary. But I mean, I mean, the evil dead, the girl in the, singing in the doorway and all that stuff. It's mm -hmm. like, oh my God. I know, we're her under the, the fingers and the pencil in the ankle. <laughs> all that I know. stuff. I know. Yeah. As a kid, you just, that's all you want to do is stick a pencil in someone's people. ankle. And yeah, you do, under the table. Another movie you love, Starting Borderlands, you told me that one of your favorite movies, if not your favorite, was Escape from New York. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe that we'd never had this conversation. I Snake, can't believe it either. Snake Plissken. Like, and then I watched the movie, and I'm watching Borderlands. I'm going, oh, my God, it's Snake Plissken. You're channeling your like, well, own version, version of Snake, of Snake Plissken, as I we all would love movie. to. And so I went back, because I, you know, this is the thing about movies, isn't it? Whether, no matter whether they're horror movies or whatever. When they really affect you, you absorb them and then you completely turn them into your own narrative. Yeah. So I thought, have I remembered this film? And it totally holds up. Oh, it's amazing. It's really incredible. I think it's because it's such a, the production design, and they must have done, I mean, it's the bulk of it's shot at night. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's the, the whole Everything's shot at night. It's film. like lit by fire and trash and, and garbage the cars and cars with the chandeliers on the, it's just genius. It's so Baroque, yeah. the whole thing. It's, it's beautiful, Donald Pleasance, and it ends on this great, hilarious note of him just playing Cabby's music. It's, it is. It's such a fun film, but... And look, when you review the presidency of late, not the, you mm -hmm. know, the recent past, it's, it is that absurd. 
Well, and then you looked at the riots that happened in 2020 and people suddenly started saying, this is Escape from New York. This is Escape from New York. There's Mm. there's something weirdly prophetic about those apocalypse movies. Yeah. That it's our worst nightmare, but we kind of want to see it. Yeah. It's like the airport novels often make, um, you know, great films because they don't take themselves too seriously, but the plots are so far-fetched that you think it can't possibly happen and then you find yourself 10 years later and you go, yep. Yeah, well, Contagion was one of those movies. Yeah, quite. Yeah. Did you see Contagion? You remember yeah, Contagion? Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I do. I mean, I, I re Unfortunately, only because of what's, you know. What, yeah, no, I remember watching that movie thinking like, well, this is scary, but this is never going to happen. It's so scary. But can I ask you a question? What is a horror movie? Like, you know, you talk about, people talk about genre, and mm-hmm. I use that word, it's like, what am I talking about? But, but what is it, because there's so many films that kind of use elements of horror, but then what, what, is, what are the elements of horror? I think the difference between a horror movie and a thriller is thriller plays with suspense, mm-hmm. but then when it's over, you're released from it, and it's not scary anymore. Horror has that deep, resonating scare. It's like when you wake up from a nightmare, and it's some horrible thing that happened to you and it's just echoing, you, you can't get rid of it. It's like still, you know, when, when it's still inside you. So for me, a horror movie is something that, that its intention is purely to scare you and to provoke you mm-hmm. and that the scare should last after the movie's over. A comedy is there to make you laugh. A drama does make you feel emotion, maybe cry, but really kind of feel something. But horror movies to me are, I've, I've heard that people like movies because it's the closest conscious representation to dreaming. Mm, like mm. We all dream at night and we can actually go to this place and have memories mm. of it, but we weren't actually there. Mm. But it's as if we were there. And I find horror movies to be the closest thing to dreams because dreams have no rules. They're abstract. Strange things happen. People become other people. Mm. And you sort of can't do that in comedies. You can't do that. You know, there's so many rules. But in a horror movie, it's also the only genre that really, really deals with our fear of death and exploring what's there on the other side. Yeah, it's like I remember that Deadly Blessings, you know, when you, in all of those films where you, the greatest horror happens when we're asleep because it's like, I remember I had to have my wisdom teeth out when I was 16 and I went under the anesthetic and my sister was going to go after me and we had it done in the dental chair and they didn't put enough anesthetic in me. You could hear so it. I was sitting there and I could hear them and they were laughing their heads off. They were joking. They're probably smoking. And I was sitting in the chair thinking, just move your finger. Just move your finger. Tell them you're awake. Otherwise, you're going to feel the whole, you're going to feel the whole procedure. You've got four wisdom teeth to take out. And I was so terrified because I couldn't move. And it's that feeling of being half conscious, but not conscious enough to change the, the situation. Everyone's worst nightmare. It is a nightmare. It's like when they find the graves with the, uh, the bells around the fingers, the strings around the fingers. When they used to, like, there, there were graves, they, they would find people when they used to bury them. I mean, it's like 1600s and 1700s. Oh, of course, so that they could say, I'm not dead yet. They buried you with a string around your finger and the string would run up to the top and they'd find people with broken strings on the inside of the caskets clawed up. Because they were in a coma. Romeo and Juliet has a lot of Because they woke up and they were ringing the bell and there was no one and they would wake up in a coma. I mean, that is, I think it's everyone's worst nightmare. Yeah. It's the premature See, burial. See, it's age old. We just, it's really, it's So for me, those, that's what horror deals with. It's the stuff that you can't talk about. Also, in society right now, really there's no place left where you're allowed to be scared and scream. Mm. I mean, people rage. There's a place where you can rage. Mm. <laughs> they call it rage porn now, or people mm. can rage on the internet mm. or rage on social media. Like, if you violently want to rage against someone, you have a form for that. But there's really nowhere to scream. It's not socially acceptable. But this says, okay, for the next 90 minutes or whatever... You can mm. scream and be afraid, and it doesn't mean you're a coward. 
It's catharsis, isn't it? Yeah, and you just feel like yeah. it's like getting off a roller coaster. Do you remember the first time you saw, or the, do you have like a singular experience of seeing horror movies in the cinema or was it always seeing them alone? In Melbourne, where I'm from, I was out with a, a couple of girlfriends and I stumbled on a horror festival. I didn't realize, I thought, oh wow, these people are, you know, an early form of cosplay. And it was a Dario Argento film. I watched horror mostly as a child on the television, mm -hmm. like after everyone else had gone to bed. And so I've seen two or three, when I say seen. You watch them through cracks of your finger. Yeah. So the, my cinematic experience is this and hearing other people scream, which is absolutely thrilling. Were there any sequels that you remember, like Evil Dead 2, anything that was like, I have, oh, I have seen, of course. I mean, look, Jamie Lee Curtis. She's, I mean, everything she's ever done, but I mean, Prom Night, Terror yeah. Train, The Fog. But I'd watch them for her because this, this is the thing is that I appreciate Dario Argento, of course, but in the end, it's like the, the acting didn't transport me. And I think that I, what I love about having Jamie Lee in that genre is that you absolutely feel for her, believe her. She brings that psychology to the to yeah. the form, I well, think, which for me grounds it in something that is so far away from possible, but also really possible as you're falling asleep. Yeah. You know. Well, the, the Italian movies of that time, because they were all built, you know, Sync Sound was illegal in Italian cinema. Was it illegal? In, in the time of Mussolini. Because that's why they put all the cinemas. That's what the, They built the stages near Cinecittà. So there would be, the planes were going back and forth. Mm -hmm. It was like, even Fellini would have people count from one to 10. Yes, it was illegal. I but I didn't know under, it was illegal. It was legal because- I thought it's because the crews couldn't shut up. Well, that, <laughs> that probably. But in the dub stage, they'd have a representative of the government making sure that every line that went into the movie wasn't anything oh, anti-government. And what happened was once they got rid of Mussolini, people got used to it. Yeah. So dubbing became a thing. So suddenly there was no sync sound in Italy. But what also happened at the time, the Italian movies started they would cast a European actor. You get like a David Hemmings or some mm -hmm. actor who, you know, okay, there he was from Blow Up, but now it's a few years later. And they pair him with Daria Nicolotti or an Italian actress mm. or international cast, international stars. And they would all have them speak phonetic English and then redub them after. But then they would put a title like, we didn't know it was Lamberto Bava's Demonies. They, they would change the name. Like even The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly said directed by Bob Robertson. It did not say directed by Sergio Leone. They were sold as if they were American movies to try and trick American audiences into seeing them. They weren't, we weren't told right. they were Italian. Right. So when you watch them now, they have this weird otherworldly quality with the music by Goblin and the dubbing and the voices and the international faces. And often the same two or three actors would dub everybody. So you're like, yeah, the policemen all kind of talk like this. You're like, is that the actor from the other movie? They sound just, so in a weird yeah. way, the acting of those movies puts a barrier between the audience. And I think that's what you're describing, that mm. when you see Jamie Lee Curtis being so relatable, it's like there was an American speaking English in synchronized sound and mm. who's a brilliant actress who just, who caught it. And everyone's trying to rip it off, but somehow when you have the international actors doing it, I never, as a kid, it drove me crazy. I was like, why aren't the lips matching? But now I sort of like it because it feels like yeah, I'm me transported too. to another time of cinema. Me too. I don't, I don't watch it for the dubbing. I'm like, oh, this is some sort of weird But also you've expression. got, there's a weird, there's a weird um, echo, you know, when you see those, gr those great pieces of Italian cinema, that, that I, I love the echo where you feel 
that there's a kind of a you can hear the screenplay because that's the thing is you it's like you hear the reverberation of it whilst you're reading it, mm-hmm. you know, which is amazing. Well, they would always do like exterior New York City, but then shoot all their interiors in Rome. So they'd mm. walk into some apartment building and then like they turn the lock and then there's like a key this long and a huge <laughs> cavernous door and fifteen yeah. you know seven meter ceilings and they're like, oh yeah, that's what every New York apartment looks like. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much, Kate. A pleasure. Thank you. This is the best. I love that we talked Escape from New York, Apocalypse, Virus, the the gift. This is like, no one's ever heard this like side of you. I mean, John Lahr did, but mm. it's it's kind of, it's beautiful. I think people are going to love it. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your day. Thank you. I'll see you at work tomorrow. You shall. That was actor Kate Blanchett. Join us next week for director Edgar Wright. History of Horror Uncut is a Shudder original podcast hosted by Eli Roth and Kurt Zayenga. Produced by Kurt Zayenga. Engineered by Chris Heckman. With music by Joseph Bashara. For Oddity, Jessica Bastilos and Lacey Oglevoy. For Shudder, Craig Engler, Nicholas Lazo, and Samuel Zimmerman. The interviews in this program were originally conducted for the third season of the AMC television series Eli Roth's History of Horror. Executive producers Eli Roth, Kurt Sayanga, Stephen Michaels, Allison Berkeley, Joseph Freed, Jody Flynn, and James McNabb. Senior producer Ben Raphael Schur. Thanks to Marco Brazis, Kelly Nash, Chris Powers, and Clara Zwerbel at AMC. This is Kurt Zayenga for Eli Ross' History of Horror Uncut.